afternoon. Um, it's lovely to have you with us this afternoon. Um, hopefully you've availed of the tea and coffee and, and sandwiches up there at the, the table. If you want any more during um, the rest of, of this afternoon, just work away and go and grab uh, away there. Um, we have Christoph uh, Ebbinghaus with us the, this afternoon. I can't say anything negative um, about Christoph because he's my boss. So maybe maybe this is the maybe this is the opportunity where I can say something negative. Um, <laughs> Um, well, you're, yeah, you're getting up after me is the problem. So, um, so Christoph, it's great to have you back uh, with us. Um, and we are continuing in our series, uh, little, little four-week series, um, looking at the, the person of Joseph and specifically looking at those moments in the, the life of Joseph where we see him at work uh, and where we see him dealing with, uh, with his working life and, and situation. So last week, we, we looked at Joseph... Um, as a slave in Potiphar's house, a very downtrodden job, um, and how he reacted to that. And we, we saw those two things, that, that God was with Joseph, um, the Lord was with Joseph, and people noticed, Potiphar notices, um, and he raises Joseph up because of his work. So um, today we're, we're jumping forward a wee bit in the story, and we're going to be looking at uh, Joseph now has been uh, in prison for a while, uh, and he is now being brought out of prison uh, because of his ability to interpret dreams, and he's being brought before Pharaoh, and we're going to see Joseph promoted um, to, a, to a role he couldn't have ever dreamed about. Um, you can see in front of you, it's a very long uh, reading today, um, so we're, we're actually not going to read it. Christoph has promised that as he, as he speaks, he's going to deal with it all, um, so you know what's going on, and you can follow it along there um, in front of you. But I'm just going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Christoph to come up uh, and share uh, God's word with us. So let's, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, bringing us here this afternoon. Lord, we thank you that we can come and we can gather around your word. We thank you that we can get a break uh, from the work that we do and we can just come and be in your presence uh, at this time on a, a Wednesday lunchtime. Lord, we want to pray for Christoph as he comes to speak to us, as he comes to speak to us from your word. Uh, Father, we pray that you would speak through him. Um, Lord, that you would apply uh, this, this passage from Genesis to us. Uh, and Lord, by your spirit, you would help us to be receptive to it. Lord, you would challenge us, you would encourage us. Uh, and Lord, you would help us to see you in it. So Lord, just be with us now. Amen. Folks, good to see you. Um, I recognize a lot of faces here, but the, um, some of you have never met before. So, um, Stephen, thank you for that introduction. Um, folks, the, the biblical story of Joseph, I'm going to guess that at least uh, a number of us are familiar with it. So that's one of the reasons I, I didn't want to spend five minutes reading that passage. Do have it open before you. I'm just on that chapter today. I'm not not going to be reaching into too many other parts of the Bible. Going to have a look at this story. And as Stephen's already said, the thing that struck us when we preached uh, Joseph recently at Kirkpatrick was just how full it was of connections to uh, real work in life. So today I'm going to have a, a go at one particular aspect of this, the question of promotion. One thing that struck me um, over the last number of years, uh, maybe, maybe you can identify with this. As you get older and as you've 
left your family home as you uh, move away and grow independent of your, your family of origin, uh, a thing happens where eventually you begin to, to look back a wee bit to see, well, what was that? What was that all about? You begin to evaluate it. You begin to see that your family uh, is not the same as every other family. Your family had a particular way of seeing the world, a particular story that it told, uh, and that you've grown up with that story. Over the years, as I've reflected on my family's story, um, one very particular aspect or one unique perspective that we had, uh, I think, began to dawn on me, and it's to do with our family's view of success. So I think I grew up in a family that was a bit cautious and nervous about promotion and success. I grew up in a family where uh, we, we loved Jesus. Uh, we were trying to work out how to follow him. But I think uh, a part of how we understood that and how we expressed it made us people who were, were a bit, bit cautious. So I'll give you, give you a sense of what I mean by that. So I remember uh, studying for my exams at school, at GCSEs, my A-levels. In, in lower uh, secondary school, I was not doing very well. I was on a few wee corrective programs here and there that the school laid on for me. But by the time I got into the, the second half of school, into those public exam years, things were going much better. So I was coming home with good grades to talk about. But instead of celebrating that with me, my family, sometimes at least that I can remember chose to, to make fun of that. Uh, I, I grew up in a German household, so they had this phrase for it. They used to talk about the höhere Schulbildung. You know, who's this guy with his higher education? What's he going on about? So you've maybe, you've maybe seen that in your family or your wider family. Who, who's your man? Um, getting ideas above a station. Actually, that might not just be a, a German phenomenon. That might be very Northern Irish too. Um, if a guy's going somewhere, let's, let's bring him down. I can still remember coming home and telling my parents that I, I wanted to go and study accountancy at Queen's. Um, and I, could, uh, I had a sense, uh, I, I said, I want to study accountancy. Uh, I want to pursue a career in business management. And I got, instead of go for it, son, that'll be great, I got more of a, you know, where, where's that going to take you? What happens if that goes well and you, you make a lot of money and, you know, so again, this, this sense of, hmm, promotion and success and getting ideas above your station. Enough about my family story. It's just a, a way of inviting you to think along with me about this question for a few moments this, this lunchtime. What's your story around promotion and success? How do you understand it? That's what I, I want to think with you about this morning. I think it's really important that we think about it. Some of you here have already experienced a good deal of promotion and success. You might not feel that way, but relative to a great other part of the population, you're already one of the people I'm talking about. Others of you are going to experience promotion and success and influence uh, as you move on in life. And I'm asking you today to pause for a second and think about it before it happens in any very significant way. Maybe, maybe you're like my mum and you're a bit nervous about success in the world. Maybe you imagine that, 
that if we really succeed in the world, it's somehow an either or. I've succeeded in the world and it's only because I've somehow compromised or somehow gone lukewarm on my commitment to Jesus. Let's, let's look into these things for a few moments this morning. We're going to see Joseph. We're going to see him promoted to a position of influence. And I want you to notice three things. It happens in God's time for God's glory to change the world. And those wee bullet points are there um, just as wee headings to, to help you to listen. Stephen had you last week in Genesis 39 where we have Joseph in Potiphar's household. I don't know, is he peeling the potatoes, washing the dishes? He's, he's a foreign slave. He's bottom of the, the pile. And we talked about Joseph in a dead-end job. And Stephen's already reminded us he doesn't stay there forever. He eventually is falsely accused of sexual assault and he's imprisoned. And if you know the story of Joseph, you'll know that he meets a couple of guys in prison, a cupbearer and a baker. He interprets a couple of dreams for them. Um, the the cupbearer, I think it is, who goes back to Pharaoh's court, he says to Joseph on his way out of prison, he says, Joseph, I'll, I'll remember you. I'll mention you to Pharaoh. And what does he do? He forgets. So Joseph, who's already been in prison for, can't remember, is it seven years? Quite a chunk of time. Sits for two more years because this boy forgot to mention him to Pharaoh. And it's only after the two years that um, Joseph gets out of, out of prison. We, we read there in the passage, keep your eye on the passage as I'm talking because I don't want you to miss that this is all in the biblical text. In chapter 41, by the time we get to the verses we have now, you maybe know this part of the story. Joseph is brought out of prison. He interprets Pharaoh's two dreams, uh, the dreams of seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And, you know, the, the Egyptians, they, they were very fascinated by dreams. So a very interesting thing happens here. Pharaoh's already brought these dreams to his dream team, the guys who interpret dreams for him. This isn't a one-off for Pharaoh. He's always, he's always dreaming stuff and he always needs them interpreted. It's a big part of how the ancient Egyptians formed their worldview and set their strategy. But on this occasion, his dream team can't help him. So he brings in Joseph to help him with this. <laughs> Joseph has interpreted a baker's dream, a cupbearer's dream, and now he's interpreted uh, Pharaoh's dream. Do you see, uh, the first thing I wanted you to notice here is the timing of all of this. Joseph's been in prison for years. I don't know what kind of conversation he was having with God about timing. You're falsely imprisoned. What are you going to be praying over those weeks, months, and years? What are you going to be praying during those last two years after the, the cupbearer's already gone? But we see God's providence here in the timing. Two years ago wouldn't have been the right time for Joseph to come out of prison. But he's remembered now, and he's called out of prison at just this moment, just this moment when Pharaoh needs this bit of guidance, because this is a moment where Joseph's going to play his part in God's plans. Folks, I just didn't want you to miss that. Maybe you're waiting. 
for something to happen. For the boss to notice you in work. You've been looked over for the last round of promotions or the last two rounds or the last six rounds. You're waiting for a relationship to be different than it currently is. You're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. Folks, I wonder if just noticing what happened for Joseph and when it happened, we could learn to be people who believe that God not only knows what is best for us, but he also knows when. That, that's hard. I don't know about you. I, I, don't, I don't think any of us likes waiting. I don't think the modern world that we live in where we can get an answer like this is, has helped us. But there's a first thing to notice. God's timing is perfect for Joseph. Joseph's promotion was in God's timing, but it was also for God's glory. Uh, I just want to talk about this for a second. Pharaoh is, I don't know if Stephen mentioned this, he's, he's possibly one of the most powerful wor- people in the world in his day. You know about the Egyptian empire, you know about the, the spillover of it that we can still see. Those pyramids weren't built by a, a small ramshackle nation. This was a, a big operation and Pharaoh was right at the head of it. So Joseph, this Hebrew slave, is called out of prison and set before Pharaoh. He, he won't have got there before he was washed, shaved, dressed. You don't bring somebody who's been in a prison. Can, can you imagine a guy who's been in prison for years? He'd been, he'll have been gross. By the time he appears before Pharaoh, he looks and he smells beautiful. Because only then are you ready to stand before the Pharaoh. And it's an incredible situation. You have the great Pharaoh, all the intellectual resources of Egypt at his disposal. And he asks a slave out of his prison to be his advisor. That's mental. If you didn't notice that, notice it now. God's taken him to an incredible place. Pharaoh says, I had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Right, so imagine yourself. You're the guy who's been found, scrubbed up, and put in the position where Joseph's in. How flattering. How incredibly gratifying. Nobody else can help me. But I think you might be able to. So it's the boss, isn't it? It's the boss of your multinational company, whatever, whoever it is you work for. Whoever's at the top of that food chain. Somehow he gets to hear about you. Gives you a ring. Christoph, I've, I've been working on this for months. I've been trying to work this out. I don't know what to do. But I've heard you might be able to help me. Just love, you know? And what does Joseph say? I can't do it. (laughs) Sort of like, Joseph, come on. This is your moment. If you get this right, you're Mr. Big. You get get the promotion. You, You know, it doesn't matter that you don't know how to interpret this dream. You know, when they ask you the question at the job interview, it doesn't matter if you can do the job or not. Tell them you can. Blag it, bluff it, make up an experience. Show them that you can do it. Sell yourself. Too many, too many laughs there. Um, we've all done this. Joseph says, 
kan dö. Kan dö. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I wonder we're big enough for that yet to say, start saying, do you know, I can't do these things. You know, in our workplaces, just anywhere really. Are we big enough to, to say, I'm a very limited human being in, in any number of ways, but I have a great God, and with his help and strength, I will do my best. Wonder we, I think that's what Joseph's able to do. We get an insight into Joseph's character here. He refuses to take credit for God's work. He gives God the credit for this dream interpreting that he's able to do. Joseph goes through his whole life knowing that any success or promotion that he's going to have are going to be God-given, not self-grabbed. So when he says, I can't do it, he's effectively given up the promotion until God then gives it back to him. It's powerful stuff. Am I going to be somebody who goes through my life looking at my workplace as a place where I can, I can pull all the strings, manipulate the situations, call all the shots, climb my way to the top of that ladder? Or could I be a person who will simply show up in the Spirit of God and allow him to raise me up in his time? Promotion in God's time and for God's glory. And we'll see that come to the fore just before we finish. Once Joseph's made it clear whose power he's acting in, he listens as Pharaoh recounts these dreams and, and he, he gives his interpretation. Seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. I, I kind of like what Joseph does here because he, he says, right, here's what the dreams mean. And then he jumps straight in to give an answer. You know that line, depending on whether you're a boss or not, this line will mean more or less to you. Don't give me a problem, give me a solution. Yeah? So the dream interpretation actually sounds more like a problem than anything else. Seven years of famine? Nightmare. But Joseph doesn't just interpret the dream. He says, here's what I think you might do about it. So he's not, he, he's open to God, he's receiving God's guidance and he's, he's working in the power of God's spirit, but he's not leaving this behind. I'm allowed to think, I'm allowed to contribute, I'm allowed to give uh, real answers to real problems. Joseph says, appoint a viceroy, appoint local overseers and get a national rationing system up and running. And at this point, as I say, he's moving from supernatural, God-given power to interpret a dream to good, wise management consultancy. I want to stop there for a second. Um, this, this thing about wisdom, we see this with Joseph a few times, that people come to him in prison. They come to him. They come to him now. And I'm just thinking, like, is this something God wants for us? I think it's, certainly in my tradition, it's an underplayed element of the biblical uh, calling. There's a tradition in scripture, the wisdom tradition, that God's people are to be wise people. Jesus was 
a fabulous, wise teacher. People said that about him everywhere he went. Nobody, nobody teaches like this guy. I, I think, folks, I, I don't want to overdo this, or I just want to throw it there and let you take it away and think about it. I think we're supposed to be really wise, or, or aspire to be. We're supposed to be the guys in our offices and workplaces that people come to. I've had a guy in church talk to me about this, quite young, in his 30s, I would say, working already at a very senior level. Recently changed job, and he was telling this story a wee bit, and he said, it's been really weird, but within 12 months of being there, I've become a confidant of some of the senior managers. He, he was, don't hear that wrongly, he was being incredibly modest, but he was telling us the truth of what was happening to him. I wonder, is there something for us there? That we could be the guys in our, in our workplaces I don't mean that we, we necessarily have all the strategic answers. You know, maybe the wisdom that we bring is going to vary from one person to the next. It might be relational wisdom. You know, the boss might be coming to you and saying, I have some brilliant strategists here, some brilliant financial analysts, but they're killing each other. You seem to get on with people. You know, help me. I wonder. Just wonder. Third, so in God's time, promotion in God's time for God's glory and to change the world. <clears throat> Pharaoh's impressed by Joseph. Look at verse 37. Turns to his court. So what is this? Like this is one of the most powerful political bodies in the world. Turns to them, points at this Hebrew slave in front of him and he says, Can we find anyone like this man? One on whom is the Spirit of God. These are pagans, don't forget. These are not people who love the God of the Israelites. This is a pagan court, and they see something in this guy. Stephen picked up on it already, because Potiphar saw the same thing in a younger Joseph before his imprisonment. God was with him. And Potiphar could see it. It hasn't changed. It's now just gone up a level. He's been promoted to a, a, a bigger stage, if you like. God is with him and people can see it. People, t it's, it's amazing the way they talked about it. Somebody in whom the Spirit of God is. Like, wouldn't you just love that? If the, the talk in your office behind your back that, that's the girl, I don't know her very well, but there's something about her. Spirit of God's in her, on her, on him. So there's this incredible thing. Everywhere Joseph goes, he gets promoted, by the way. This isn't the only promotion in Joseph. So he goes into Potiphar's household. Do you remember? Potiphar says, why don't you run the place? Watches him for a while and then says, why don't you run the place? He's in prison. The prison guy comes to him and says, you know, Joseph, you're the only guy in here I can trust. Help me run this place, will you? And then he comes out, and before long, it's the keys of the kingdom. Here it is. And it's because of what people have seen in him. Folks, you can probably sense a wee bit of excitement from me here. I, I love this. I have a dream when I read a passage like this. I dream of a different Belfast, okay? I dream of all those offices and workplaces that you are going back to and that other colleagues, other, other Christian people are in today. 
And I'm dreaming of bosses who are beginning to have the Pharaoh moment where they're, they're looking on their staff and they're saying, wow, that, that Christian over there, like there's something different about that, that guy, that girl. I, I don't even, like I, I don't know what Christianity is. I, I don't know what to teach in their churches and at gospel in the city and these places. I, I don't know what it's all about, but I can see it. I can see the difference that this faith makes. And and my dream goes bigger than that. I'm I'm sort of imagining the bosses where they're saying, I wonder could I get more of those? You know? I don't know. Has anybody ever had this? Has your boss ever said to you, you know, I've noticed, I've, I've been the boss here for 10 years. I've noticed that the Christians are, they bring something to this place. Do you have any Christian friends who could come and work with us? Can I get more? Pharaoh looks at Joseph, can we find anyone on whom the Spirit of God is like this man? Folks, I'm I'm pretty much out of time. We're talking here today about promotion and influence and how we think about that. The Lord gave them all to Joseph. He did it a number of times over. And he did it all so so that Joseph could serve his purpose in the world. Actually, Joseph's going to use him to save the world. I'm, I'm throwing that phrase in to provoke you, all right? I think the biblical text allows me to say that, and we'll, we'll think more about that as we go forward in the Joseph story. But God brought Joseph to the fore to change the world. So we're back to our opening question for each of us. What's your theology of promotion, success, and influence? Is it something that Christians are afraid of? Is it something that we, some, you know, it, maybe there's an instinct in you when you see somebody at the top, you, you say to yourself, yeah, he's at the top and he looks okay, but he must have done something. She must have been up to no good to get there. Or can we at least allow for this reality that God sometimes raises us up, gives us success so that we might have influence that he might use us to change the world. Could he be raising you from where you are now because he wants you to change some part of the world for him? Like Sir Fred Catherwood. Who's heard of Sir Fred Catherwood? Don't worry if you haven't. No? Okay. Sir Fred Catherwood was born in Castle Dawson. Is anybody here from Castle Dawson? I asked folks in church where Castle Dawson was because I hadn't done my research. Does anybody know where it is? Where is it? Near Macrofelt, did I hear? Yeah. And where, where, no, no. Um, so Fred, Fred Catherwood, born in Castle Dawson, brought up in Belfast, qualifies as a chartered accountant. Most of the best people do. Um, <laughs> Throughout his career as a a businessman, listen to this, chief executive of Coastin Construction, managing director of British Aluminium and John Lang. Among the many roles he played uh, politically, he was the head of the National Economic Development Council and one of the first conservatives to be elected to Europe. He held the 
position of Vice President of the European Parliament from 1989 to 92. I recently learned of one of Sir Fred Catherwood's life world-changing um, uh, one of the ways in which God used him to change the world, a world-changing contribution. During those years when he was Vice President of the European Parliament, it was the earliest days of the post-Soviet Union, Russia. So, yeah, late 90s, or late 80s, early 90s, glasnost and perestroika. I, I grew up when you heard those words in the news. I, it was quite comforting to just hear these great Russian words. The world felt like it was changing. Well, in the middle of that change, Fred was the vice president, as I say, of the European Parliament. Russia was reinventing itself. Huge moment. You've been a communist country for decades. Uh, a, a restructuring, a, a rebranding of the whole nation. What kind of a country are we going to be? So the old influences come back. The Greek Orthodox, uh, or sorry, the Russian Orthodox Church uh, approaches their political leaders and they push for legislation to curtail the, the, the life and growth of evangelical churches in Russia. Before that legislation could be enacted, it had to go to the parliament, but it also had to go there with the, the blessing of the then leader, Boris Yeltsin, head of state. So the future of evangelicalism in Russia is in Boris Yeltsin's hands. It's not, not an overstatement to say he's a significant role in this decision that Russia needs to make. Twice the issue came before the Russian parliament and twice Yeltsin defended the place of evangelicals in the new Russia. Why? Well, at least in part, because Sir Fred Catherwood spent time with him and persuaded him that evangelicals would be good for the new Russia and to allow them freedom of expression and freedom of growth and movement would be a blessing and not a curse to the new country that emerges. The history of the modern history of evangelicalism in Russia shows that the evangelical church grew four or five times in the space of the next few years in the new Russia. Not bad for a boy from Castle Dawson, eh? God sometimes chooses to raise us up in his time for his glory to change the world. What's he raising you up for? It doesn't have to be the whole of Russia. It doesn't even have to be the whole of Belfast. Let me scale it back a wee bit for you. But your office... Probably at least that, isn't it? Your family. Should I pray, Stephen? Is that all right? Let's pray. (coughs) Father God, we have thought through a really important question today. Lord, those of us who are a little nervous about promotion and success. Lord, show us again that we're right to be because we're sinful people and we can get the wrong end of any stick. We can easily uh, use whatever gifts you give us in, in bad ways. But Lord, help us today to have a bigger picture 
a greater trust in you, a greater, a greater hope in what you could accomplish in us and through us. And Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would make ourselves available to you if you want to use us in your time for your glory to change some part of your world. We're here. We're willing. We're available. Use us, we pray. Amen. Um, that is us out of time. If you're, if you're not rushing off anywhere, um, you can stay around and, and have a chat um, with anyone else about what that might mean for you. Um, if you're not... Sorry, did I just make a, a rushing? If you're not rushing off, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but other than that, you're, you're, free, to, you're free to go. Um, next week, we're going to be looking at the next part of, of Genesis 41, where Joseph then is, is the head of, of state, essentially the prime minister of all, of all of Egypt. All of Egypt lies before him. And in your Sunday schools, that, that might have been the moment that where you're, you're just like, look, it all comes good for Joseph. Joseph gets everything. If you wait, if you hold out, eventually you'll get it all. And it's put, it's put forward as this pinnacle of, of Joseph's life. This is, this, is where you, this is where you should get to. This is the great thing. But actually, I think that's the moment where Joseph is most in danger. And I, 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 if you come back next week, we'll talk about how success is something that we have to be careful of, um, as well as something that God might be calling us to. We've got to be careful in that. And how does Joseph stay faithful? And how do we see Joseph stay faithful in success? So that's what we're going to be thinking about next week. So please, if you're, if you're available, come back and, and join with us then. Other than that, have a good afternoon and have a good rest of the week.